Uh, I'm going to tell you right up front, uh, we're going to be talking today about this idea of missional impact. And, and really what I want to do today is I want to read what is a very, very popular passage churches go to when they talk about casting a vision for what the church could and should look like. And then I want to jump into what it means to pray for this kind of missional impact as we continue in this series entitled 21 Days of Prayer. So uh, now just for, again, like I said, for clarity's sake, when I say missional impact, what I mean really is what Jesus alluded to in uh, kind of his last words to his guys, one of his last words. He said this in Matthew 28. We, we find this recorded. Jesus says this, Go therefore and make disciples of all nations. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations. Make disciples of all nations. Make disciples. Make disciples. Go make disciples. Okay, can I get what I'm trying to say today? Okay, so go therefore make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe everything I have commanded you. And remember, I am with you always to the end of the age. So, uh, in other words, missional impact, and this is the bottom line, by the way. If you have to leave for some reason, or I'm just not that interesting, and so you kind of decide you want to play a little bit of Crossy Roads or Candy Crush, you'll have everything in just these few seconds. And here's really what this message today is all about. It's this. Missional impact is God's people in a place with a people in their place making disciples, okay? Over the years, I've tried to communicate this idea of making disciples in many different ways, uh, and this is kind of a new way that I maybe am trying just to try to communicate to us, like, why are we here? We, we say this in many different ways, and I'm just going to maybe try another way. Hopefully, it'll stick for you. But this idea of missional impact is God's people in a place with a people in their place making disciples. And I'm going to explain over the next 20 minutes or so or whatever, uh, what do I mean by that? Now, over the last couple of weeks, we've been in the middle of this journey. Uh, if you have, if you're just kind of stepping in with us, you're kind of like in the middle of the movie. So we're not going to explain who all the characters are and the plot line and who died already. Okay. So, and why that person's mad at this person. We're just going to, we're just going to hope that you just <laughs> are okay with where we're at. And, uh, but, but what we have done over the last couple of weeks is, we as a church have been seeking God really to move our hearts for his mission. That's the first and most important thing. I think you need to catch from what is this whole series about. And when we have that kind of desire for him to move our hearts for his mission, really that's us desiring for him to accomplish through us, this community of faith we call Clarity Church, his mission in making disciples. We read this in Matthew chapter 28. Go therefore and what? Okay, good, you're listening. Very good class. Um, specifically, we are praying about God's direction. Now, this is where we get real specific. We're getting real specific. We're praying for God's direction for us as we seek his will about this idea of establishing permanency in our community that surrounds us by pursuing a permanent facility. And regarding that prayer, we looked at how we are to pray, week one. And then last week, we looked at why we are praying. 
And this week, I want to talk about what it is we're exactly praying for. Okay, so if you miss the, if you miss the how and you miss the why, you're just going to have to go online, listen to that. But today I want to talk about the what are we praying for. And today I want to talk about what it means for us to pray for missional impact. That is the prayer. That is what we're praying for. Missional impact. Or as I said earlier, God's what? People in a where? Place. With a people in what? Their place. Doing what? Making disciples. You guys can read. (laughs) Good job. So let's just break this down. First of all, let me define what I mean when I say God's people. Uh, In the beginning of this series, we established that the greatest asset of the church is what? The people, right? The people, you, us. Not the building, not the programs, not even the Bible studies, okay? Those are really just the tools. At the end of the day, God uses his people, his good news through his people. But people are not only just the greatest asset for making disciples that make disciples. Because, listen, let's just, let's be honest. Nobody wants to be thought of as a, an asset, okay? People, specifically God's people, and this is, this is the real importance of, of why, why you should be part of a local church, why you should be part of a local community of people together living life as family on mission with God. This is why it's really important. Because if you read the New Testament and you look at the history of the church over and over and over and over and over again, you will find that this is true. People, in particular, people in community with each other, are essential are essential for making missional impact. Or in other words, people are essential for a local church to actually have a missional impact in the place they are. But the church is just not any kind of people. I just want to be clear about that. So when I say people, when you say any kind of person, no, no. I think it's very clear who are God's people. One theologian and church planner, author says this. I like how he says this. The definition of church is the presence of Jesus among his people, called out as a spiritual family to pursue his mission on this planet. I like that. I like that. To put it simply, the church is a people committed to be with Jesus, become like Jesus, and live like Jesus. That's what it means to be God's people. Being God's people is is a people who are committed to what? Being with Jesus, becoming like Jesus, and living life like Jesus. That's what it means to be God's people. And over the years... Uh, churches have, and we have, we're, we're one of them, have pointed to a wonderful passage of Scripture, Acts chapter 2, especially verses 42 to 47. And we've pointed to this as the model of what churches should look like. A church where, as you'll read there, uh, and you should be turned there, you can see there, you'll see what? There's these characteristics of a church being devoted to the apostles' teaching, fellowship, breaking of bread, prayer, meeting in homes, selfless generosity, and worship. Like, this is, like everything that, that, you, that you would hope a church would be. 
And then at the end of that passage, it says this, and this is what I really want to read, verse 47. Look, at, look what it says there. It says this, And every day the Lord added to their number those who were being saved. Every day the Lord added to their number those who were being saved. Every day, there's so much in that, in that verse. Every day we could focus on that. But then we could focus on the Lord. We could focus on that. We could focus on added. And then we could go, those being saved. There's so much there. We don't have a lot of time to go into that. Maybe that's for another time. But over the years, here's what I've noticed. Maybe you've noticed. I don't know if you're a serial sermon listener like I do. Like in my spare time, I like to listen to messages and... um you know, because I have no life like that. So maybe you don't. I know uh, Noah's dad. Where's Noah at? Shout out. Or is he not even here to even, I'm going to, oh, goodness gracious. Well, I'm going to give a shout out to Oren who listens to our podcast. And he's a, he's one of these guys that listens to all these podcasts. But Oren will know that a lot of churches, and if you've been around a lot of churches, you know this too. They point to these things, these passages of scriptures. And, and some of them, some of them, point to these things that you see in Acts 2, 42, 47. And they go, if the church looked like this, then the church would be a real church. And so we need to be a real church. And if we want to be the kind of church where the Lord adds to us daily, every day, those who are being saved, then we need to be a church that's meeting in homes. And we need to be a church that's breaking bread. And we need to be a church that's having fellowship. And we need to, and we need to do, and we need to do this, and we need to do that, and we need to commit to this. You need to commit to that. If the Lord was going to add to our daily, our us daily, we need to do this because that's the real church. And if you're not the real church, God's not going to add to your church daily. The problem with that kind of rhetoric is... um I have seen a lot of churches where they, with great fervor and literal practice, do those things, and God does not add to their number daily. So, the question is, is that how God wanted to build his church? Act this way, then I'll grow your church. Act this way, then your church will grow. Is that really... That's a question, and as a church planner myself, it's something I had to wrestle with because I'm like, you know, because you hope to plant a church to create a spiritual family that would grow in discipleship to do the Matthew 28 thing where everyone is making disciples who makes disciple, every disciple a disciple, every discipled one being disciple. Right? This is the thing that we always talk about. Is that how God wanted to build his church or... Is there something deeper that is responsible for the fact in Acts chapter 2 that people were being saved? Now, I just want to warn you, what I'm about to say isn't anything new. (laughs) So it's not like I'm going, I've got a secret and no one else knows. Okay, This is just not popular. It's easy. We as people like to know what do we need to do, right? In fact, a lot of you are, are wired that way. Okay. I want to sit in a message, and I just don't want to know what it says. I literally, like, tell me what I need to do. What do I need to do? Tell me what I need to do. What should I do? And so sometimes 
pastors, speakers, teachers, we could be caught up in this idea of going, we've got to figure out how to help people do something. And then we often forget, I think, this very, very clear, it's very clear, uh, but very essential truth that is actually responsible for what we see in Acts 2.47. To find this answer, I think it's really helpful to look at what happened in the previous verses that led up to the example of what many people point to as the example of the church and what it should look like. A little context, Acts chapter 2, if you haven't read it before. At the beginning of this chapter, you'll see that the Holy Spirit comes into the lives of those who were kind of huddled in this room, the upper room, they call it. And it says that the Holy Spirit fell on them and they began to speak in different languages that people from the outside, from different countries and nationalities, were hearing these people speak in their tongue who shouldn't know how to speak in their language. And they were basically going like, what's going on here? Because we got 120 people all just speaking out. And, and what exactly? We're not really sure. I would, I would think it was the praises and the, of, of God and the, the realities of the gospel in their own native tongue. But here's the thing. It was catching people's attention, okay? And some of them were just going, like, what's going on here? And, and some people were like, you know, those are probably, they're just drunk. They're just drunk. They're just drunk. And with the attention of all these people, Peter, who was in that room with him, Peter, if you don't know who Peter is, Peter's the dude who walked on water, cut the guy's ear off, and Jesus said, you know, so that's that Peter. I think most people know who Peter is. Um, Peter, he stands up and he goes, and we learned this last week, whenever there's a crowd and Peter sees a crowd, he cannot help himself. He's like, dude, there's people. I think I'm going to preach the gospel. Everyone's like, no, we always get thrown in jail. Stop it. He's like, dude, watch, we'll get out. Hey, everybody. And what does he do? He tells them that they're not drunk. And he begins to preach the gospel to these people who have stopped by to kind of witness what 120 people huddled in a room who are speaking languages that in their own tongue that they're not supposed to know. And he tells them what the gospel is. And then this happens in verses 36 to 37. Look at this with me. Therefore, this is Peter, let all the houses of Israel know with certainty that God has made this Jesus, who you crucified, both Lord and Messiah. You have to read the whole chapter for yourself. I don't have time to do that with you today. But then he says this. Uh, uh, but then, here's, here's what we read. This is really important. Catch this. When they heard this, they, this is the people who were listening to Peter teach, they were what? Pierced to the heart. And they said to Peter and the rest of the disciples, Brothers, what should we do? I think it's really important before we move to trying to understand how God made the church to become what it is. We understand that God desired for them to experience deeply the reality of who Jesus 
is. What you need to know is that before even God would want to say, do this, God wants to accomplish in our lives the type of moment where we all say, we have just been pierced to the heart. Because pierced hearts naturally go, what should I do? Hearts that have encountered the presence and the truth of who God is naturally are positioned to say, okay, what should I do now? So the question, so it's always helpful to, to personalize what we're reading when we go into the scripture. The, the big question is this. <clears throat> when was the last time in your relationship with Jesus that you felt it so deep and so meaningfully that you could almost describe your time with Jesus, the saturation of the gospel speaking into area of your life, that you could literally say that it was like being pierced to the heart. When was the last time? You can ask yourself that. It's a good question, by the way. Because what you'll hear in, in many sermons, and including mine in the past, I'm not saying that I'm perfect. Uh, and there is a need to help people actually make wise choices, and the Scripture does help us with that. But by and large, what you'll find in many popular sermons and popular resources on Christian living, like books or podcasts, you'll find that they talk much of what it means to become like Jesus and live like Jesus. Here's how you become like Jesus. Here's how you look like Jesus. You got to pray. You got to read your Bible. You got to not lie. You got to love your neighbor. You got to do this. You got to do that. You got to read this. You got to go that. You got Here's what you need to do, right? This is what most of the resources that help in this subject of spiritual formation and transformation that we, we find Most of it has to do with what we do, but not much has to do with our thoughts or our emotions or, um, you know, most of it has to do with like our actions aligning with the standard of God's word. But what sometimes is not given the attention it deserves is the reality that everything in a church that is having missional impact flows out of being deeply connected to Jesus. Like churches that have missional impact, if you were to try to figure out what was the key element, it would be, that at the core, those people are deeply connected to Jesus. And this is why we're in this season of prayer. I'll be honest with you. It, because prayer is, it literally is one of the most powerful contexts 
in addition to things like silence and solitude and Sabbath rest and reading your Bible. But prayer has one of those things that just forces you to be in a context. And it is really one of the most powerful contexts for experiencing life with Jesus. And I don't know about you, but there, there is what I have come to recognize really over the many years of ministry. Uh, if someone who is trying to become like Jesus and have a life like Jesus to really do the things that he did without an abundance of affection for Jesus and without a, a fullness of his Holy Spirit, if, if people do not have a heart for Jesus, then what they are living out really is a practice of some kind of new legalism. It, it is what it is. And if we are going to have missional impact, then we need to pray that our lives would be overwhelmed <laughs> with deep affection for who Jesus is. And then that we would be the people who are committed to being with Jesus first. And if we do that, then we can be the kind of people that God uses in a place with the people. That's the second point. Missional impact happens when God's people, we've established who those are, in a place with a people. This will go a little bit quicker. When we say in a place with a people, I'm referring to something we refer to around here. We have in the past called a theology of place. A theology of place, if you've never heard us use that, is just really this belief that the reason a follower of Jesus is where they are living and with whom their proximity gives their life access to it has all been ordained by God. In other words, as a follower of Jesus, you are in the place you are with the people you are with because God has a plan to see disciples being made. Does that make sense? Like you are where you are with the people you are with because God wants to see those people in that place become disciples. It's really that simple. It's believing what the scriptures say. When it says this, Psalms 139, 16, you saw me before I was even born. Every day of my life has been recorded in your book. Every moment has been what? Laid out before a single day has passed. Acts 17, 26, for one man has made every nationality to live over the whole earth and has determined their appointed times, the time you live in and the boundaries of where you live in, the scope of where your influence can actually be had your geography. Where does your life happen? And with whom does it happen? That's a question for you. Like, where does your life happen? Think about that. Where does your life happen? And with whom does it happen? Just think about that for a moment. Now, as you're thinking about that place and those people, let me ask you this. When you found your life where it is now, with the neighbors you live with, uh, the co-workers you work with, uh, maybe the classmates, some of your students that you learn with, or uh, maybe it's that barista you order the venti soy extra hot no foam no whip and one and a half pump white mocha at every 8 a.m. on the way to work, and her name is Stacy, and she's vegan. I don't know. Um, (laughs) 
did you see it as a missional reality of your life? Like, that you are where you are living and who your life touches was meant to be impacted by the good news of Jesus, like, through you. Like, did you realize that? Did you think of that? Because our prayer over these 21 days of prayer should be that God would make us a transformed people. We've been talking about this idea. But transform how? Deeply affectionate for Jesus. And, and, and we should be the kind of transformed people because of our commitment to be with Jesus, therefore live life like Jesus and become like Jesus. Because missional impact is the goal to make disciples what? Who make disciples. Our prayer is that God would help us find a first, a deep love for the place we live in. Do you love the place you live in? And then a deep love for the people our lives touch. I didn't say the people you like, by the way. I just said the people that your lives touch. Do you love the people your lives touch? By the way, if you're having trouble, you're like, what about these people? They're like so, oh, so hard to deal with. They're like so antagonistic, and they just persecute me all the time. And they're like enemies. Like, if it, well, well, just remember, Jesus said, love your enemies, bless them that curse you. Do good to them which hate you and despitefully use you and persecute you. Jesus came to establish a new kingdom, rhetoric, a new economy. If you don't like that, that's not, that doesn't mean you're not a follower of Jesus. It just need me, just needs me, it just means you need to be with Jesus a little bit more. Because he'll give you his heart. I know that. If you struggle with that, don't be, don't be guilty. Just repent and go, Lord, I'm sorry. Like, and everyone could do that. I, I could do that. I'm sorry. I don't love my neighbor as much as I do God, but, oh God, I want to be with you. I want to know you. I want to have your heart. Because I know you love them. Even while they were sinners, even while I was a sinner, you died for me. So that is good news, people. And so if you believe that, I, I, just, I just have to believe that God has been really good and really consistent at changing people's hearts. And Jesus has been a really effective kind of motivational speaker to coach you through the areas of your lives that need to be totally submitted to God. Jesus is good at that, and you can trust him. I believe that. Do you want to be with Jesus? You should be with Jesus. Because the key to being God's people in a place with the people is this idea of being a local. Now, you know what a local is, right? You know what being a local is. A local isn't a person who says to themselves, you know, we're not going to live here long, honey. Or, you know, those people, I've seen them, they come and go. That house, people who live in that house, they just come and they just go. Last time we tried to be friends with those people, they laugh, or it didn't even work. Uh, a local, um, a local would say things like, would never say things like, you know, it's not important to embrace this place, and it's even less important to waste time embracing the people of this place because we're not going to be here that long. A local is a person who has made the decision that where they are living, at least until God changes it, is their home, and the people around them are part of it. At least for now. And so our prayer, I would hope our prayer is this, God, would you make Clarity Church a people who are committed to be in the places you've ordained us to be with the people you've called us to love. God, would you do that? 
After all, this is the big lesson that the little brother of Jesus, I imagine, learned while watching his big brother teach and live out the values that came from God the Father. And he shared in his letter in James 2, Indeed, if you fulfill the royal law prescribed in the Scripture, love your neighbor as yourself, you are doing well. (laughs) But how many of you know it's easier to say than to do? Love your neighbor. you got to love your place. And if we're going to have missional impact, we need to be God's people committed to where God has placed us. And we need to learn to love the people God has placed within our proximity. So missional impact happens when God's people in a place with God's people. The last is this idea, in their place. What do I mean by their place? When I say in their place, I'm talking about the culture, the language, the rhythms, the values of the people that you're trying to reach. This, in fact, is what missionaries who are trained to bring the gospels to cultures that are not their own are trained to do. If you've ever been on a short-term mission trip where they like prep you for mission, and they should. If they don't do that, that's shame on them. But I remember when I was, uh, when I was 15, I went on this three-month mission trip to Russia. And for a couple months before then, I had this training material where we had to talk about there's certain gestures you couldn't use in this culture. There's certain things that you should not do. Even though like in America, we know like, well, that does like, for instance, one of the things they taught, they, they said, okay, ladies, don't ever sit on a cold floor because in this area of Russia where they are, like you will deeply offend the people because they believe that like women sitting on a cold floor brings infertility. Okay. It was just weird. Like, so you just, we just, so like when we were like sitting in a circle, all the girls had to sit like this. And like, now we're like, we were like, well, stupid people, you know, we're Americans and we know, I mean, we got medicine, we know, that's not going to cause infertility, you know, and these people, you know, that's, that's, we don't care, like, the, well, they need to know the truth and the truth will set them free. <laughs> no, that's not what we did, right? We, we had a love for the people. We knew that the gospel was the most important thing and gospel clarity in their language, in the way that they can understand, it's, gospel is more important. And so, Missionaries who train to bring the gospel to cultures that they know, they know this. For example, in an overseas missionary training article written by a guy named Dr. Raymond Burke, who, by the way, himself was a missionary's kid and was a missionary for almost 50 years in places like Burma, India, Pakistan. He gives this advice in the training manual that was like written in 1967. He goes like this, It is the responsibility of the missionary to learn the factors of his given locality. Putting these together is the proper relationship in the proper relationship will provide a direction for the best what? Approach in presenting the gospel. Although the gospel does not change, it is very versatile. Good missionaries recognize that there are factors of a given locality that the people you are trying to reach can and should inform the best approach in bringing the realities of the gospel in effective ways. In week one, I use this phrase, cultural exegesis, to describe what it takes for a local church to have missional impact. And I ran out of time, so I didn't have time to to look at it. And if you've never heard of cultural exegesis, I'm going to define it now. And it really, the best definition I found comes from this guy named Dr. Ed Stetzer. And it says this, the concept of cultural exegesis is simple. You have a context, a culture in which you live, where you look to preach the gospel, love your neighbor, and worship your God. Cultural exegesis studies the culture and learns what people in that culture love, 
fear, value, and so on. Exegeting the culture has never been more important. Christianity in the West has been marginalized by the prevailing winds of secularism. Secular, you know what I'm saying. Driven by the engine of globalization that will continue to exert significant pressure on the ministry of the church in various contexts. If the church is in Christ, she is involved in mission. And her whole existence will have a missionary character. This is our journey to engage culture through the gospel as a missionary people. I understand that this is difficult, the idea of thinking you're a missionary. Because being a missionary means you're going to be out of your comfort zone. And humans, by nature, seek the path of least resistance. And so we like to surround ourselves with people who look like us, and talk like us, and vote like us, and believe like us, and or at a minimum, at a minimum, you know, don't make us feel too uncomfortable about the differences that exist. You know, oh, I have this friend. They don't believe what I believe, but you know, we have a great relationship. As long as they're not people who make you feel guilty that there are differences. And because of this, we can believe the lies that we tell ourselves. We can say things like, well, you know, it's really hard to be missional, Phil. I I, I just don't know any non-Christians. Well, then, (laughs) when the actual truth is that you just haven't done the work of a missionary to take the first step in extending friendship to people who are not Christians. Like, if you gave me just five minutes with you in your regular circles of influences, I could find a non-Christian. And then the reason why you don't know them is because you haven't extended friendship towards them. You weren't a missionary. <laughs> and listen, this is not about making you feel guilty. This is about us as a church going, God has a standard and he calls us to it. And there is grace and there is forgiveness when we find that we are not living in that. And that's why Jesus said, that's why the scripture says, if you confess your sins, he's faithful and just. And so this morning, if you find yourself like, oh my goodness, Phil, you're just like really pounding me. Listen, there is grace. We could go, Jesus, forgive us for not doing this. I want to know you. I want to, I want to be part of your mission. Yes, I believe in you. I believe it. And some of you are like, I believe in this. Why are you making me feel guilty? That's not me. That's just, this is an opportunity for grace to flood your life. And I can do, I need this too. I need this too because I can sit in my office Working, I was telling uh, my community this yesterday. Sometimes I sit in my office and I'm working on this message and I look out my window and I see my neighbor and I'm going, I'm working on a stinking message and I'm not going over to say hi to my neighbor. Like, this is why I exist for. This is what I exist for. And it's, you know what? I get, the enemy can use that to make me feel guilty and so I need to go, okay, Lord, forgive me. How can I, okay, let's get to the place of rest in you. You have not come to condemn the world, but that through it you be saved. Then out of that, of being with you, can you make me more like you? Would you open the doors? Maybe I just need to be more responsible with my time. Um, you know, sometimes we say to ourselves things like this. Oh, man, I am out of time. You see Oreos in a paper bag back there? 
Bring that over to me. Band, come up. It'll keep me accountable. Just come on up. The best illustration I can maybe give you as a last resort to really kind of make this stick is, is something I saw. I'm totally ripping this off somebody else, so don't think this is my idea. But anyone know what an Oreo is? Okay, all right. <laughs> Very good. I am learning through cultural exegesis that Oreos are something that the people of this place find attractive <laughs> and valuable. Okay. Um, so in both of my hands, I have two kinds of ways I could package Oreos, right? I mean, right? I could put Oreos in here. I put some Oreos in here. Um, for illustrative purposes, right, I, I could have Oreos in here, but if I walk into a room full of people who love Oreos, the likelihood that if I walked in and be like, hey, everybody, I got treats, who wants treats? The likelihood that they will choose the Oreos is what? Probably like 100%. They'd be like, prayer and paper bag. Mm. I knew this kid named David in fourth grade and all the things he pulled out of the brown paper bag, I did not want to eat. <laughs> now let me ask you a question. Okay, so... As a follower of Jesus who has the very Spirit of God living inside of you, <laughs> have you considered whether your life looks like this or maybe looks like this? Now, I get it. Hold on a second before some of you get mad at me. I know the people will be like, it doesn't matter, Phil. Man looks at the outward appearance, but God looks at the heart. And, or, or, you know, well, Phil, what we really need to do is we need to have, in order for us to have more missional impact, what we need is more of God's spirit. And we need more of his heart. And listen, I don't disagree. I don't disagree with any of that. In fact, if what we are trying to accomplish in living out the realities of the gospel in our everyday lives does not require the Holy Spirit and submission to Jesus Christ, then we're probably not doing the right things, okay? I just want to make that clear. But with that said, let me just ask a very simple question. Do people want what's inside of you because of what your life communicates? What does your life actually communicate? Uh, the bigger question, maybe even that I would want to pose to us as a church, is to ask this. Do the people in the places we live want to know what's inside because of how we are communicating? You know, as a follower of Jesus, who has the very spirit of the living God inside of you, the question we just need to wrestle with is this. Have you considered whether your life is communicating well because you understand the people, you've done the homework? Like, and and I'm, I'm sure there's some holes in this illustration. Give me some slack, okay? Like, well, you know, equate the gospel to the Oreo. I, how dare you do that? It's just an illustration, people, okay? Just work with me. No emails, please. If you have emails, send them to ron at clarity.mn.org. <laughs> 
So listen, there's no denying that Jesus established the mission of church when he said this, Matthew 28, 19 through 20. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe everything I've commanded you. And remember, I'm with you always to the end of the age. This is what Jesus said to do. And this is also why he said in John 20, 21, peace be with you as the Father has sent me. I what? Send you. If you are uncomfortable with thinking of yourself as a missionary in the place that you live, I don't know what to do to help you. But if you are a follower of Jesus, you are a sent one. Jesus has sent you. And so let this be our prayer, that God would make us by his power, he would make us his people in a place, with a people, in their place, sent by Jesus to make disciples.